Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Jeff Olin, part of BMO's Government of Canada bond trading team. This episode is titled Fiscal Worries and the End of Rate Hikes. I'm Ben Reitzes, and you're listening to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading team to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Jeff, this is your first episode on the show, and thank you for coming. And Jeff's been with BMO for how many months? Not three months. Not three months. So he'll have different views than the rest of us BMO folks. Uh, so that that will be interesting and fun. Jeff also has lots of views on all sorts of things. So we're, we're going to dive a little bit into that. First, we're going to talk about the Bank Canada a bit, but welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. I don't know, honor. Okay. Well, he's, he's taking it one step too far already. So we get the Bank Canada next week. It's been a, a very quiet August for the bank in that they were effectively on vacation. They, I don't know, all but shut things down for August. We haven't heard from anybody uh, anything over the past number of weeks. And the meeting next week has priced kind of five to seven basis points of a rate hike is priced in right now. So, so relatively low odds of a move. Uh, we get GDP on Friday. It's currently, uh, we're recording Wednesday morning. I don't think the case for next week is is locked down tight just yet. The consensus is no move. We're not calling for any move either, but GDP matters and it matters a lot. And so we'll get the second quarter numbers Friday. If those surprise on the high side, that probably puts the bank back into play. I don't think it necessarily makes a hike a lock, but it'll make them think really hard about what to do uh, because we already got the July inflation numbers pick up a little bit more than you'd like. I mean, core did come down a tad, uh, which which was nice, but the acceleration in the headline is is not welcome at all because then you're you're battling public perception, headlines, so on and so forth. Uh, and August is going to be exactly the same, and that like headline is for sure going to go up. It would take something extraordinary for it not to go up at this point, uh, and it probably could rise anywhere from like three to five ticks uh, is, is possible, given the cash prices are up about. Four and a half percent. We'll see what uh, what the rest of the basket does. But uh, for now, it looks like, let's say, GDP comes on target. Low ones for the quarter. June is a small negative. July is a small positive. Nothing nothing terribly exciting. The bank pauses again. Jeff, are they done? Is that it? I think so, yeah. Why are they done? If inflation's still going to print, let's call it at least three and a half for August. I think it'll be higher than that, but let's, let's just pick a number. Three and a half for August. And I guess we get jobs next week also, so that, that'll be interesting. But if, if inflation's still up there, why can they back off at this point? For me, I look and think about just, you know, the inflationary process. What what brought us to this point? Why is inflation elevated? And um, we talked a little bit before just about this idea, not to get right into, you know, this idea of fiscal dominance, but uh, just with elevated spending at the federal level and uh, more so in the U.S. at the federal level, you know, what impact does that have on inflation versus, you know, the impact that the rate hikes have had to this point? And I wonder a little bit if um, the rate of change from a spending perspective is 
you know, not going to accelerate and, and may decelerate, where we still have, you know, what have been pretty high levels of interest rates. Um, certainly real rates, uh, you know, plus two or 3%, depending on where you want to peg inflation for next year, you know, have been enough to be restrictive in the past with a much lower debt load. But I, I would go also to say that I think I felt that way for a lot of the cycle. And I think inflation has proven to be stickier than I than I would have expected, particularly services inflation. So, you know, I'll, I'll stick to that. Uh, a, a bright uh, strategist uh, told me something recently, uh, never change your view in August, which I think is clever. Uh, and so I think in the end, you know, the, they're going to be done. It's a high bar to, to reaccelerate, you know, the inflationary process here with rates at this level. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you're, we're, we're seeing tentative signs of, of a slowdown. So like job growth has been negative two of the past three months, although the middle month was, was big enough to offset that. Uh, largely, but momentum is slowing. The, the unemployment rate's up half a percent over four months. That does not happen unless things are going weaker, although we are starting again from very strong levels. So maybe that changes things a tad. But again, if we get GDP growth in the low ones, that's that's notable deceleration. There's a lot of wonkiness in the data coming. So like the, the, the July GDP number gets distorted by the port strike, and it's tough to tell exactly what impact that has because the, the July numbers so far have been okay. But that should be somewhat of a drag, you'd think, uh, and that'll get offset in August, and and so there's there's lots of wonkiness there. But I, I'd like to ask you, you know, what do you think it would take to to reignite the hiking cycle, and you know, if if that were to happen, what what do you think we might be looking at? Because I'll also go as far to say that the idea that they're on hold is probably closer to consensus. So the you know the unconsensus view certainly would be you know some reacceleration of inflation that brings in you know more rate hikes. So. A- couple of things, I guess, are possible. So one, gro- growth matters a lot. So the reason I'm highlighting second quarter GDP, I'm not sure everybody else is, but I am, is, is I think at the end of the day, and, and go back, rewind, I don't know, three, three months, uh, when they hiked in June, the first quarter number, GDP number, beating their call and everyone's expectations is really what tipped the scales for them. Like that's the straw that broke the camel's back. You already had inflation pretty strong and then you have growth at that resilient driven by consumption. Uh, and that is, is what's been driving inflation. I think they were like, we don't really have a choice here. Consumers are in way too good a shape. Housing is getting stronger here when it should be softening. And we should probably push rates higher again, just to make sure that things are tight enough. And so they back to back moves. That's fine. If GDP, again, surprises on the high side and, again, is driven by consumption or even is just driven by consumption, like if consumption growth is north of potential, call it like 2.5% plus, I think that'll make them really uncomfortable. I don't know if that necessarily pushes a hike on its own, but that'll make them very uncomfortable with the backdrop. Uh, and so I think growth probably matters at least as much as inflation at this point in time. The inflation numbers matter, but inflation is, as I've said a number of times, the most lagged of all indicators. Like it is going to be the last thing to move. It is already moving down. That's a positive. Core is moving down. That's a positive. It's doing it slowly, but still directionally good. Uh, it's only going to get to 2%. Like the bank only has it going to 2% in 2025, like you, you ages from now. And so because inflation lags so much, the growth numbers have to stay soft. They need to see sub potential growth, not by a little bit. And they need to see the labor market softening slowly but surely, which is kind of what we're seeing. And so, I mean, soft landing is is looks to be the way forward for now, but any type of reacceleration in growth would be a 
big red flag for the bank and I think prompt them to reconsider the thought that rates are high enough, that rates are restrictive enough, even though at 5%, I mean, it's hard to believe they're not. But I mean, I would have said that 100, 200, 250 maybe basis points ago and would have been wrong all the way. And here we are. Does that answer it? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I, 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 at this point, like even even though I think one thing to add, though, is is even with a pause, no matter how they pause, like whatever the data do over the next week or so, let's let's say they do pause, they're still going to keep the door open for more. And I think that part's pretty important. And from a market perspective, that part may be even more important in that like you the front few meetings, the very front of the curve keeps that upward slope because they want to keep that door open and they want to make sure that. Uh, Canadians out there waiting to buy a house or take on a mortgage don't get too excited that rates have stopped going up and that that's the end of the rate high cycle. And they they also don't want the market to get overly excited and be like, all right, well, if they're done, let, let's start pricing in cuts and do it aggressively. Let's go. And fives rally like stink and then mortgage rates drop and then people start getting into housing again and then we have to start all over again. I would add, I think, just given how bad everybody in the central bank community got the inflation call wrong, the risk you know, to a policy mistake at this time is probably too tight for too long, i.e. They, they, they're so concerned about having gotten the inflation call as badly as they did that they would rather, you know, miss it the other way this time. And I think that's probably the risk that they, they keep rates higher, you know, than the market expects. And, and so it comes back to, you know, your original question. Yes, I think there might be done, but the, the bigger, maybe the, the bigger question with trading uh, implications is just, uh, Okay, if they're done, how you know what what does the evolution of the overnight rate look like over the next twelve to twenty four months? And I would, I would say, um, when I'm looking at the front end of the U.S. curve, you know they have like nearly uh, five cuts priced for next year. Uh, in Canada, it's it's uh, just a bit more than one. To me, something seems a little off there. One of the two, uh, either Canada is going to have to go a lot more, or uh, the U.S. has got too much priced in. At the moment, Atlanta Fed GDP now is like 6%. We just had a second quarter GDP revised lower, but still very strong, I think. I don't see cuts in the near future unless you're really looking at some of the softer data like the PMIs and thinking that's about to filter into GDP right away or we're going to have a really bad non-farm print uh, tomorrow. So the, the next question is really how do you trade you know, the evolution of rates in the front end even if they're not hiking? So the Canada-U.S. issue has been been that way for a while. Canada has looked very cheap, very consistently, or maybe the U.S. has looked very expensive. Whichever, whichever way you really want to want to put it is, is fine. And part of that's just structural in, in the, the the bank treasuries consistently selling the front end and, and uh, really twos out to fives. And, and that's, that's kept Canada uh, relatively cheap. And I, I don't know why that's going to change. Uh, anytime soon. And so it's it's a question of whether you want to be fighting that battle or not. And I would guess, I, I don't want to fight the, the bank treasuries in Canada. They're much bigger uh, than I think everybody. And so I, I that's, that's one reason for that. Bigger picture, though, I agree with you. I think you're exactly right, is that the market underestimates how long we could stay on hold for, and they underestimate uh, the willingness of central banks to keep rates where they are for now, even in the face of softening data. Again, if, if, if the Bank of Canada thinks it's going to take most of two years to get down to 2%, like they're not cutting anytime soon. The 
pricing for one cut over the next whatever year or so makes decent amount of sense because again it'll take a year to flow through plus when when they do end up cutting rates but for the fed it's it's very aggressive uh overly so and you mentioned the pmi numbers that the weakness is really on the manufacturing side and i'm not sure that's a big negative it's more of a post-covid hangover everybody bought all the stuff they could possibly consume except for cars and outside of autos it's like whatever i don't need more stuff i think historically people would say the manufacturing leads but also I think new orders has turned up a little bit. And so, you know, again, back to this idea, maybe we have this mid-cycle re-acceleration where people have to restock and that that continues to cycle a little longer than everybody thought. I mean, it was only nine months ago that we were pricing 100 basis points of cuts by now, by now. Oops. Yeah. So you say manufacturing leads. So in, in general, yeah, I agree with you. And, 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 and that would usually be the case, especially since the big durables tend to be intersensitive. In this case, is again, this this is a different cycle. This is a very different type of cycle. Spending is rotated because of post-COVID kind of behavioral changes. It'll shift back eventually. It will come. I don't know when that is, but at some point, services uh, spending will get satiated, and then you'll get a normal rotation uh, and a normal, more of a normal balance in, in goods versus services. But I don't think we're there quite yet, but it, we, we will get there eventually. Earlier, you mentioned... The fiscal side of the equation, and and I think that's something worth diving into here, given you have some 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 strong views, and it'll, it'll keep things interesting. I wrote a little bit about it earlier this week, just highlighting how we the, the well I've written a number of times how the U.S. situation just really isn't sustainable, and while Canada on the other hand, like Canada looks all right, and I, and I'm and I always hate saying that uh, because I mean the last thing I want to do is give anyone a license to spend more money. We only look good on a relative basis, and that, that's the truth of the matter. The government is spending has ramped up significantly, uh, and, and government revenues have ramped up significantly as well, and that, that's what's helped keep the, the fiscal balance in, in check. At what point does this become a real issue? And let, let's start with the U.S., because in Canada, I don't think we're there, but our deficit does limit our ability to stimulate if that time eventually comes where we need to. But when does this become a problem in the U.S., or, are, or is it already a problem? I think that is like uh, one of the central questions over the next like 10 years or so for just general asset allocation, because there is a whole, you know, I think growing course of uh, politicians and economists who think government debt doesn't matter and there's no limit to how much debt, uh, you know, the government can take on and they can always do QE. And the consequence, I guess, is inflation. And so certainly at this level of government debt, I'm thinking more in the US of like 130% to GDP or whatever, 100% if you net out the intergovernment, you know, holdings, that's, that's a high level for wh- where we've been. And the implication, I think the fiscal spend in the US is a lot of like, uh, entitlement, which is, is uh, not cyclical, i.e., you know, they're going to continue to spend what they spend on Medicare every year, no matter what the economy does. In fact, if, if anything more. And so now, when you have that high debt stock and interest rates are back to a normal, somewhat of a normal level, you just absolutely blow out the government interest expense. And I think there are some people positing that that has caused, you know, the cycle to extend, you know, just uh, people who who have, um, you know, money in T-bills earning something more than nothing, and they're taking that money and spending it. 
before we hopped on here, you showed me what I thought was a really interesting chart that I don't, I have not seen before, and, and I don't think people are talking about enough. And, and that is a interest incomes as a share of uh, PCE. But anyway, I think the, the long short of it is, do people believe if the U.S. just using the U.S. as a simple example, but I think I think Western governments in general, if they run higher deficits with low unemployment, does that make the central bank's job in getting inflation down harder? And I actually kind of, I think it ultimately the central bank will probably win out, but I think it could extend the cycle a little bit longer. And I think that's, you know, what we've seen to this point. Uh, the last thing, you know, I, that nobody's talking about, but I think is important is we're still doing QT everywhere. And so not only are we running these big deficits, but uh, the central bank's not funding them. And so that definitely is putting uh, pressure on real rates. And I wonder a little bit if uh, risk assets at some point are going to have to, you know, pay attention. And and that that is why I come back to, you know, the government uh, spending picture and, and the rate picture, I think, is going to have implications way beyond rates markets, you know, going forward, where I think if you were an equity PM or something, you could have, you essentially did just ignore rates for the last like 10 years. And now I wonder uh, if you're going to have to learn a little bit about what uh, the policy implications, because none of this is baked in the pie yet. Like we could have a recession and they could do, you know, helicopter drops like they did, or maybe they don't. I mean, you just have to understand the implication of different policy action when it is taken. And uh, so anyway, that's, you know, that's kind of my overall thinking. What what do you think? guess there's different policies to take into account than there were when you're, when you're, when you're mapping out scenarios that, that, that's, that's pretty reasonable. With respect to interest, funding, spending, uh, uh, household spending, I'm, I am not a buyer of that philosophy at all. Um, higher higher rates are not stimulative. Um, I will, I, you're going to have to do, it, it will be very hard to convince me otherwise, why don't I put it that way. Uh, I'll, I'll need to see a lot of charts and very compelling evidence. So far, I've seen none. What I think is driving things, like, sure, I even if you accepted the fact that higher rates might drive some some interest spending, which I don't, but let's say we did. I think the bigger driver of growth and the bigger driver right now in the cycle is government is the government spending itself, not the interest part of it, just their outright spending. Uh, U.S. deficits up a trillion over the past year. That's not all interest. There's spending there. Uh, that's what's driving this. The end, pretty much. <laughs> no, I don't think it's more complicated than that. But that's where the problem is at the end of the day. So like what happens... When, as you mentioned, like real, you mentioned real rates, so real rates have backed up. I think, I think higher borrowing is part of that. Uh, interest costs are going up. At some point, governments are going to pay a little more attention and be like, oh, well, hold on a second. Interest expense is climbing here. We can't continue at this pace. We got to tighten our belt a little bit. I assume this will be some kind of topic for the next presidential election, maybe, although both parties love spending. But at some point, you can't continue with an 8% of GDP deficit. And so what happens when 8% goes to 6% or 4%? That's a massive contraction in demand, like your multiple percentage points of GDP. So that, like that, that's been my biggest looming risk for the economy. I don't know the timeline on it because you, you, you guys out there tell me when, when, when the U.S. government's going to start tightening its belt. I have no idea. But I don't really see much else as a huge risk. That, that's one. Uh, that is the one that could cause a pretty – meaningful and somewhat persistent slowdown in growth. Uh, and I don't see any way to avoid it. I just don't know when it's coming. Canada, luckily, doesn't have that problem, kind of, sort of, a little bit. We're, our deficit's like one and a half-ish percent. But again, as I mentioned earlier, spending growth is much too high here. It's not sustainable. 
Uh, we need to focus on improving productivity growth, growing growing the pie that is the Canadian economy, uh, rather than than policies that uh, have, haven't been as successful over the past number of years. Uh, well, but we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. But let's flip to trade ideas here and and. and End things off with some some interesting thoughts from Mr. Olin because I'm 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 kind of tapped out I think at this point. Well, you you did ask me to think of a few, um, <laughs> so I think two time horizons. I think in the in the near term, we've got a, a ten year auction this morning. Uh, I guess we'll see how that goes uh, after we release this, but uh, we think the role on that D thirty three is interesting compared to the you know the surrounding bonds. But all in all, that's not really a very exciting idea. Looking further out, I do actually think in the end, ultimately, we will look back and think, you know, they tightened pretty aggressively and, and they will have to turn around and, and start cutting. My guess is that sometime next year, and I think people are still a little bit ahead of themselves. So, you know, in the near term, I don't have anything super exciting. I am, and I think we are looking at 1030s, uh, maybe maybe even 2s, 10s, 5s, 10s, steepening trades in general as a, as something that will become a thematic trade. And as ever, it's, it's very difficult to time. So I think we'd try, try to start looking to bias that way. Maybe as we get into September, we get a bit of issuance. But with, with, with an understanding that realistically, it's going to be a bigger trade um, once we really go into recession. And I don't know, uh, I don't know that we're quite there yet. All right. We're, we're not there yet, or so it seems. Well, you actually rem- reminded me one thing. Um, you look at seasonality on on for for rates for like just U.S. tens because I think that's that's the easiest one to look at and, and most liquid and consistent. Uh, September's most of the, most of the last four months of the year are pretty pretty tough outside of no- November. I think goes the other way, but uh, challenging months for the rate market, and so you could get some some steepening some some bear steepening pressure. Uh, arguably, if uh, if rates do stay stay under some pressure there. Uh, that being said, I mean. Data will will probably determine where we go at the end of the day. Like if like this if this week's any indication, the softer jolts numbers and and the, the big drop in U.S. consumer confidence. If we get more data like that, that probably means we rally from here. Um, I'm kind of biased that way personally. I just don't know how quickly we're going to get there. You're the same way. It seems it is steepening, but what that the catalyst to move us at the end of the day is is I don't know what it is just yet. But I, I do think we're a lot closer. It does feel as if things have plateaued, I guess, from a number of looking at a number of different indicators and the stress from rates is starting to hit people. Uh, and you're, you're seeing that in a number of different fronts. So uh, as that proliferates through the rest of this year, I guess, and, and uh, widens, uh, I expect the data, the hard data to, to soften accordingly. Um, so steepening, maybe not quite yet, but on any flattening moves, I think that that's the move to fade, especially relative to the U.S. I have one more question for you. Sure. Do you think the Bank of Canada cares at all about the per capita numbers? Like one one point I think has to be made in Canada, the numbers haven't been great, and we have this very uh, high level of population growth. You know, if de facto the per capita numbers are pretty bad, do you think anyone at the Bank of Canada cares? They care and they don't. <laughs> It's both. So what's what's their mandate? Their mandate's two percent inflation. There's no per capita anything in there. There's no growth mandate in there. There's some there's some employment mandate a little bit in there to, to kind of try to get full employment, but uh, it's it's really two percent inflation. And so it's hard for them to 
focus on other aspects of the economy like per capita growth, uh, like the fact that population growth is probably driving a good chunk of spending at the moment um, because at the end of the day, their job is 2% inflation and that's all they can focus on. So uh, it matters. Yeah. Is there anything they can do about it? They don't control the levers of population growth, unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not really sure. Uh, so uh, I think uh, there's, there's not a whole lot they can do about that at this point. Uh, I think we'll, we'll we'll leave it at that. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming for the first episode here for you. And I look forward to a future visit from you and, and, a, and an exciting fall. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.